Hello and welcome to Tone Benders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host as we talk about the post-production process on the wonderful new film, American Fiction. In addition to the sound editing team joining us today, we also have the film's picture editor, so this is going to be a really fun talk. American Fiction is a comedy that tackles how the publishing world, but really all forms of media, deal with race issues and stereotypes, from macroaggressions all the way up to just full-on aggression. Uh, What makes this film work is its tone. It's a satire, but it never feels unrealistic and it never really becomes a farce, as the laughs pile up and there are lots of laughs. The viewer knows that they're always just an arm's length away from the truth. American fiction has excellent writing, amazing acting, so it's up to the post-production team to live up to those standards and carry the film through to the end. Joining us today to talk about their roles on American fiction, we have from the sound team, Sang Jun Kim, co-supervising sound editor and dialogue supervisor. It's great to meet you, Sang. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you, too. Awesome. We also have our returning champion, Mandel Winter. I believe this is Mandel's third appearance on Tonebenders. After joining us for our roundtable on sound design for Westerns and talking to us about his work on True Detective, it's great to have you back, Mandel. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And finally, we have the film's picture editor, Hilda Rasula. Hilda, it's always a pleasure to talk to the picture department and have you represented in these talks. Thanks for carving out time to join us today. Oh, thanks for having us and uh, for that really lovely introduction. Uh, Let's talk about finding the vibe or tone of the film with both picture and sound. How did you help the film settle into its pocket? Maybe Hilda, start us off with that? Sure. Um, Obviously, tone is really the trickiest thing in this movie. It, It veers kind of wildly between comedy and drama, and yet, hopefully, smoothly. (laughs) Um, We knew the kind of movie we wanted to make. There was a great script to begin with. That was a great foundation for us. And so it was a kind of a question of doing the the kind of unglamorous work of carving out every single scene, every beat, every moment to make it reflect what we always knew the film wanted to be, you know, to help it reach its greatest potential. But yeah, keeping the comedy in a grounded vein and making sure that everything that happened felt like it could happen in real life was a really important thing that we talked about. Making sure that the farce did not become too farcical was a a major thing that, that we had many discussions about and we would sort of obsess over in micro moments that affected, you know, performance choices and everything. We could have gone bigger. With comedy, honestly, we could have, but we chose not to. And we kind of scaled back at certain moments to make sure that the film could flow from comedy into drama because it does dip into some pretty serious drama as well. And we wanted to make sure that all of those different tones that the movie hits could live together and coexist in a really organic way together that hopefully feels like the way life really happens to you. You know, not a single genre, not a single vibe, but really something that just flows from moment to moment, exploring these different aspects of human existence, really. Mandel, did you want to talk about how you use sound to create the tone of the film? From the sound side of things, we we really focused on keeping it very naturalistic and not taking away from the performances. We didn't want to be anything over the top. We wanted uh, to kind of dance between the beauty of like the beach house. And then also when we're in Monk's mind and this sort of impressionistic sort of way, even though they're realistic sounds, they're just used in a impressionistic type of way. And so, a lot of what we were doing was really maintaining that richness of voice 
it's a talkie. You want to hear every word. You want to know the story. I mean, the story is what leads everything. And so we wanted to just pay service to the story. For sure. Well, as you say, it is a talkie and the dialogue is crystal clear. There was never one moment where I was wondering uh, what someone was saying or reaching with my ears to figure out someone's next line. Uh, Sang, do you want to talk about how the dialogue arrived to you and how you tackled that? Yes, I'm glad you were able to hear because that actually, it came to us, how do I say, a bit loud. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of stuff happening in certain scenes. And as uh, Mandel pointed out, you know, we, we tried to keep the house alive, the beach alive, everything was a character. And Hilda wanted us to keep everything that way because they just loved the sound of it and how Mandel said everything was kind of naturalistic. I mean, surprisingly, we didn't do too much ADR. Yeah, we were able to fix a lot of stuff. Um, There was even a scene where there was um, an actual storm happening, I think it was. And I think most of that we were actually able to fix without ADR, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And so it was just, I mean, yeah, it wasn't the hardest thing I've ever had to clean up. It wasn't the easiest. It was It was great. My job, as you guys know, is can you hear everything? Can you hear everything clearly? Did I not suck the life out of everything? It made my job easy when the sound design and the sound effects and the music, I mean, the music was so beautiful. And so just working with that, it was pretty, it made my job easy. I think saying is being a little modest. A <laughs> little bit, a little yeah. bit. In that, you know, this film was shot on location in Boston. Everything was real, you know, everything the down to any interior you see, like Monk's father's office and his parents' house, you know, all of that were, those are all just real houses, real locations, and subject to the twists and turns of what real sound sounds like outside. So saying actually did a tremendous job, I thought, cleaning things up. I appreciate it. Scrubbing everything so, so clean and and keeping, as as Mandel said, the 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 warmth and the character of the of of our actors' voices, which was really important to us as well. Uh, there were a zillion things we could have re-recorded in ADR, but we chose not to because the actors original performances were so lovely and then there were even cases of course where we had still listed it for adr re-recording and and recorded them and then rejected them um in the end because because the brilliance of those performances was it you know there there were special things that you get attached to in people's voices and in in particular line readings but i wanted to say about uh, saying as well is that he yeah he worked so hard to clean things up only to have us tell him or to work with our wonderful mixers, Alex and Rich, to add back in, of course, a bunch of mess because we <laughs> he did this wonderful job. And then we got there on the mix stage and realized that the beach house, for instance, you're mentioning Mandel, is like, wait a second, the we need to feel the waves. We do need to feel the ocean that's right outside. It, the beach house is literally on the sand, you know. If we clean it up too much, you won't feel it. And we fell in love with certain creaky floorboards because to us, they represented a family whose fortunes were in decline. It was not supposed to be a fancy beach house. The family at the heart of the story has enough money to have a second home, and that's significant for who they are and their their class, but they don't have enough money to handle the mortgages on both of those places. So it's it, it's kind of, we, we had all those discussions about what exactly the this each space needs to feel like, you know. The beach house also had tons of creeks. And so saying pulled out a lot of those creeks just for 
Matt Yoakum, our other co-supervisor on the effects side, to add back in. <laughs> but we could then lower them around the dialogue or maneuver them where we wanted them. Being on the beach, we also had, like, it was amazing that our production sound mixer got as much voice as they did. Because I've worked on shows where they've mic'd the ocean more than the actor. And this was the opposite. We, we actually got enough voice that we were able to minimize the ocean roar and uh, put in beautiful waves that we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like every sound mixer, you're a little obsessive about where the waves should go. Yes. Exactly when you should hear a little flock of seagulls crying plaintively out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking about the waves, you called them beautiful. There is a scene where the beach becomes quite menacing, where the mother disappears. It's a scene where the soundtrack and the picture become quite tense, but what we're actually kind of seeing is just people running on a beach. Do you want to talk about how you made, uh, brought that together to make it such a tense scene? I think sonically, the reason it works so much is we've developed such a strong connection to all of these characters. And to see the mother's decline happening and being next to the ocean, which the way the sound effects were cut becomes more menacing. The way the music plays lends itself to, uh, to letting the emotion go where we needed it to go. And also playing with the perspective of the voice. Even though we see Monk, his voice feels distant. He feels far away, kind of like his, his mom. It's a push and pull of where we want the audience's emotion and experience to go. Saying, how was cleaning up the dialogue when you were right on the beach? It was, again, it was one of those scenes where we shockingly, I don't think we did much, Adia. We had maybe had one or two lines just to kind of add into, but I think we used most of the production. And I think that actually worked because, you know, you get the natural waves that was caught during production, along with the effects to help it on certain occasions, obviously. But um, the performance from Jeffrey Wright and the mom. And then at the very end, we see the, the other characters, Maynard, um, coming right. in. Um, and I think I think they all, all four of them, the, the performance, it was so, it felt so real. And so to, to shoot ADR in that would have done it an injustice, I think, because just to kind of recreate that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt right. Again, what, like Mandel said, they recorded it shockingly well for being how close we were to the ocean. So that, that really helped a lot. So actually, yeah, to pull that out was actually not not too bad. That scene is, I like that scene a lot. And, and I think there's a nice push and pull that's happening there where at the beginning, we're jump cutting around. It was shot in a very impressionistic run and gun kind of style. And so we're visually jump cutting around to give this immediacy and kind of almost dock panicky feeling as Monk is searching for his mom at night next to the ocean but then sonically we're we're not jumping and we're not hard cutting you know sonically there's a whole oceanscape that has been built up by the sound team with their design that is feeling just increasingly overwhelming increasingly scary until he actually gets to her and then we achieve a certain amount of clarity where again the focus becomes a little bit more on the presence of the human voice once he's got to her but um, yeah, I, I like the, the push and pull there. 
Hilda, sometimes directors are less available at the end of a film because of uh, all of their commitments and the picture editor ends up being on the mix stage a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that where your role was? Did you Were you involved in the mix a lot? Sure, sure. I love the mix stage. Um, to me, it's a place of great creativity and also great peace because the hardest part of my job is done by that. <laughs> so it's kind of like I feel at that stage, once picture is finally locked, although picture didn't lock until we were on the mix stage um, and days into the mix on this one. Yes. But uh, but (laughs) we can get to that. But yeah, to me, it's a really fun process because I'm there to just help the other wonderful artists that we had on board help point the way to whatever our original intentions were. And Cord, being a first-time director, he hadn't been on a mixed stage. I mean, this was really new to him. So yes, it, it was definitely a case where we had all agreed. I mean, every picture editor needs to be on the mixed stage, but he was going to lean on me and my expertise. We also had a wonderful music editor, Alex, who was there all the time. And um, and we were able to really get into some really, you know, creative, intense discussions with Alex and Rich, our mixers, playing with the push and pull of music. Alex was doing <laughs> some rearranging, you know, of music slightly on the mix stage with stems, which happens. I mean, it was all happening at the 11th hour coming fast and furious because the scale of this film was just, we only had so many days, you know, we just didn't have the luxury of weeks and weeks. So we had to kind of show up and every single day be totally on. And that meant still doing music editing right on the stage, still having creative discussions, still locking picture. So yeah, it was it was kind of intense. I mean, the picture, luckily, most of it was in place. It was just sort of some smaller issues we had to work out. And then we had this one nightmare sequence that involved a bunch of stock footage or not stock footage, but some some clips that we needed to license, some other movie clips. That's one of those sequences that not going to get locked until it gets locked. Just because of trying to hunt down the permissions from an actor who played in a movie from 20 years ago who, you know, maybe has died and we're hunting down his widow. I mean, it was, it, that got a little crazy at the end. But the the sound mix, luckily, was a wonderful creative joy from beginning to end. Uh, Sang um, and, oh, go ahead, Sang. Sorry, yeah, to just just to jump on that. Yes, it was, it was kind of, everything was on like the 11th hour. It was kind of a little hectic, whatnot. But, you know, Hilda being there, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, she knew what they wanted this film to be that helped tremendously because wow when when you are at the 11th hour you're like what are we supposed to do we all kind of looked at Hilda and like what do we do (laughs) and she was she was great at telling us exactly what they wanted and so that was that was a big help and you know people might not understand this but you know, there are other projects where picture editors or someone else who's in charge comes in and they say they want something, but they don't know exactly how to describe what exactly they want, right? They just kind of say, well, I know it's not this, but they can't tell you what it is. But Hilda knew. And so, and she was able to talk to all the producers in court and, you know, translate it back to us. And that helped a lot. So, no, there were, there were great notes that really helped guide the mix. And being on the mix stage is one of my, favorite places to be because you get to look at it 
from a global perspective. You're not in the nuts and bolts. You're like, I'm not trying to sink this ADR line anymore. I'm let's see how it plays as a whole. And you can really guide it and, and look at the story. It's like, is this serving the story? Is this not? Is this appropriate for this character? Is it not? So it's one of those places where there is, as Hilda said, just an incredible amount of creativity that's happening. And for us, we're on. I mean, that, I mean Hilda's taking a step back. <laughs> we're stepping in and uh, we need to be able to service all of those notes and, and be able to help tell the story the way they want to tell the story. It's funny, until you get to the mix stage, though, and you start to really explore what the sound design sounds like in that room, you know, on the dub stage, and and you hear the score in with those speakers and in those circumstances, it's almost like you can't fully see the forest for the trees. That is the moment, for me at least, that sonically it really becomes clear. And it's true that those are the opportunities to play and explore where you get to have this bird's eye view of the film and you finally are able to make some of those decisions that you really just couldn't make until then. Like it becomes clear at certain moments. Oh, wow. You know what? We actually don't need this little music cue here. We thought we did for so long, for months, we thought we were dependent on this transition, not working without this cue. And then suddenly you get to the stage and once you're finally seeing it in proper context you're like oh my god no it's fine there's like a tiny bit of sonic fatigue happening um it would be better if we didn't do that just those types of decisions you you can't know that until you get there you know or or realizing that something does need a little more drama and that you were playing something very naturalistically and and that maybe you have the leeway and freedom to amp it up a tiny bit it's like it's fun to kind of see the mixers as well come out swinging with you know their takes on a certain scene and the most fun thing for me is like when as a picture editor you have that moment where you're like okay that wasn't quite I didn't imagine us going that big or you know going quite in that direction shading it to that particular kind of sonic color tone um but then you fall in love with it and you're like, oh my God, this is, now I can't imagine the movie without this. There's so many discoveries like that on the mix stage. They're so fun. So uh, let's talk about the interaction between sound and picture departments. We have a lot of listeners that might work on either uh, series or uh, video games. Things get locked a lot earlier in television series than they do in films. Can we kind of talk about the give and go and how reconforms are passed back and forth and uh, how those decisions are made and tackled? Maybe you want to start with that, Hilda. Uh, sure. I, I mean, I've worked in television a bunch too. And yeah, there's often just um, less time on episodic series. Uh, you really only have like a couple days on the mix stage or whatever. So, so with a film, what's nice is that you have a little bit more time. But it is true that often on television shows, you're also doing like one turnover at the end. You lock picture on an episode and you do a turnover and then that's it. And then the sound team does their work. And then you have one day on the mix stage or something for an episode of television. And that's that. It's, it, it is pretty wham bam. Obviously on a film, what's fun is that you have more opportunity to play. The sound design team gets involved much earlier on. You tend to have longer spotting sessions where you can really get into the detail of what a film needs to be and become in sound design. And then usually with the composer, that's you're kind of chasing this 
line that keeps moving in front of you because the composer is composing as well at the same time. Like the line keeps moving, moving as you move forward until the very, very end of the finish line. But what's fun is that you get to go into such detail. For a little bit, you're sort of constantly turning over reels as little picture changes happen or sometimes big music changes are happening. And so is, is that about right? Mandel? I mean, there's always going to be changes, right? As we work in film or TV, it evolves. There's that sense of discovery along the way. And you're like, that doesn't work anymore. I need an edit there. Fine. We know how to do changes. We've been doing them forever. So whether we do it with Matchbox or whatever, I mean, do it by hand, we can adapt the stage sessions as quickly as possible and get the stage back rolling. Or as the stage is on reel two, we're conforming reel one. Uh, so we can go back to it. But you're always trying to keep the stage moving forward and make it as seamless as possible. Fang, how did you find that for this film? Uh, you know, not like every other movie, to be honest. It's just like Mandel said, there's always going to be changes. We're always, always expecting changes, and we're hoping that at some point the changes will stop. Um, <laughs> and they eventually do. Um, the only difference for me, as you know, I'm noticing as, as technology gets better and better, is that we used to have to be like, hey, changes are coming. Well, so we would say, okay, well, we need a certain time just to get it delivered to us because we would need to have like a hard drive sent over to us. And then we would have to, you know, transfer it and do all this stuff. And now it's, yeah, I have a change ready. I'm going to send it to you in an hour and then you'll get it in an hour. And, you know, off you go. So that's really just the only thing that I could add to that, I guess. Is there a part of you that, that, Obviously, that's made our lives easier, but is there another part of you guys as sound professionals that regrets the ease yeah. that is coming, <laughs> the, the, the picture department? Oh, I don't know how to and, answer that. Uh, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind, never mind. No, I mean, I think, I think, does it kind of open it up for maybe more turnovers and sure, and that could be a pain it kind of slows you down a little bit to then stop what you're doing and you know download and, and reconform to the newest version sure but i'm okay with it because it is so fast and so now you're not having to worry about like oh man i gotta wait how long for this thing to come in right you're not waiting for a courier to drive across los angeles as, as long as we're able to keep the stage moving I don't have a problem with changes at all. It's when the stage shuts down. Right. Because then the powers that be that are paying the bills, they start to freak out. <laughs> I want to keep the mix stage as calm as possible, as mellow as possible, so that everyone comes there and enjoys themselves. And it's not a point of stress. There's enough stress in what we do. And, and the mix stage should be calm. Yeah, Mandel, you did a great job at really keeping our mix stage on American fiction a place of really like calm, warmth, creativity. I've seen other situations that are not always that. Yeah. And this one had a lot of warmth and a lot of love and a lot of creative respect flowing in a lot of different directions, which I love. We're all really fortunate to get to do what we do. Yes. And, and we get paid well and we, we just, we're making sound for movies. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, what a fun way to make a living. And as long as we keep that in perspective, I mean, yeah, okay, we got to stay late. We got to work harder here or there. I mean, it's just keeping it all in perspective. We're really fortunate to get to do what we do.
That's awesome. So I just have one more question before I'll let you all go. When someone's working on, uh, you know, the next Marvel movie or Star Wars movie or something, spaceship blows up, sound goes, let's blow up the spaceship. On a more uh, subdued film like this with mostly dialogue leading the way, I was wondering if maybe Sang and Mandel and Hilda, if you could each kind of go through and maybe talk about a spot where sound really kind of helped this tell the story in a more subtle way. Mandel, can you maybe start with that? I think sound really tells... One of my favorite places where we play with the sound is when we go into Monk's mind as he's writing. Um, they are realistic sounds, but they're used in a way that differentiates where we are in time and place. Because we're even though we're in the house, which we've established as this warm, inviting sort of place, all of a sudden we kind of slip out of that and it becomes a more dangerous place. And they're not complicated sounds, but it's that fine tip brush in some of these more subtle films where you have nothing to hide behind. You don't have that explosion to hide behind. You don't have a tank going by or a car chase. It's, it's very subtle and everything is, is cut with purpose and intention. Sang? Um, I guess my favorite scene besides what Mandela just talked about would have to be, I mean, probably the beach scene is, is where, um, where you know the mother goes off because even though the production may not have been the best sounding production but like even the quality of it actually helped the scene because it you know like the wide shot where he's chasing after her and he's yelling mother yeah we the viewer audience could could hear it but just ever so slightly enough where you start to feel a little worried as well because you're like well i can't really hear him how's the mother going to hear him you know the subtle wave crashes and then you can just kind of feel the music get louder everything starts to get a little louder a little louder a little louder it's not so abrupt it's just kind of rises up to a certain point and then all of a sudden he gets her and then it kind of calms down you know when we first did that scene on the stage i was like like you were saying it's just people walking on the beach really but when we were there and everything was put together i was i started feeling myself kind of get like anxious until he grabbed her and then brought her back. And I, I feel like sound definitely helped with that emotion. For sure. Hilda? Yeah. Um, well, without giving too much away, um, towards the end of the film, the story goes in this really fun, strange direction that allows the movie to play with a series of endings that are kind of about storytelling and about endings and about writing and about construction of stories and fiction making. And so it gave us the special opportunity to dip a little more into genre and to dip into, it sort of picks up on the surrealism and magic realism that, that Mandel was referencing in the writing scene earlier. And it, it sort of calls back to that, but then it gets to dip into these different genres really in a way that is incredibly fun. And that I think, is really just sort of was an opportunity for sound design to take flight and and allow themselves to go on a kind of flight of fancy, you know, um, in a way. I don't. It's hard to talk about because I don't want to spoil anything. But it's it's a special, you know. There's a sort of some special moments at the end of the movie that just go in a really fun different direction that allow us to explore a really full sonic palette and. 
to me, that's a really interesting sound moment because there's no way we could have sold those moments and those scenes without really, really major and explicit sound design that somebody like Mandel knows how to create because of his other films, <laughs> that he's not really using or working in that palette on this movie, but dipping into other genres a little bit in a way that just allows the team to kind of fly for a moment <laughs> before we come back down to earth, which is where, which is where American fiction ultimately lives. <laughs> on earth with the rest of us mortals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed the film. My one regret is I saw it, I saw it in a theater by myself. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was a, an advanced screening. So I would have loved to be in a theater where we're all laughing together and gasping together and such. So once it's out in wide release, I'm definitely going to go check it out again to get that audience experience because I think that's something that uh, would really add to it. But uh, I still, regardless of that, had a great time watching it. And it's an inventive film. It's really worth seeing. So I encourage everyone to go take a look. And uh, thank you very much, everyone, for talking to us today. This was a really fun talk. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yes, I just want to second the idea that please see it in a theater with an audience. This is a movie that rewards the group viewing experience, the comedy and the drama. It's, it's, um, it's really a film that should be seen with other people, I think. Definitely, I agree. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Awesome. Big thanks to Hilda Sang and Mandel. American fiction is definitely worth the watch. For some reason, it has taken me forever to get Tonebenders on Instagram, but we are there now. If you want to be on top of when new episodes come out and interact with the podcast, please be a pal and give us a follow. I would really appreciate it. You can find us under Tonebenders. This episode was volunteer edited and mixed by Johan Englund. Johan is a sound designer and audio nerd who is always striving for the clarity and the density. He's currently working as a game audio instructor based in the UK, but is at all times open to opportunities in sound. He can be found at nightonmars.com and is frequently on the Air Wiggles forum. Johan was a dream to work with and will be getting a free copy of the Sonic Springs Library for helping us out. My name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to the Tonebenders Sound Design Podcast. See you next time. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? ToneBenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.